Welcome to Dental Unfiltered with Dr. Andrew Vallow and Matthew Brown, your source for the unfiltered truth about what's going on in the dental industry and what's effective for your practice growth. Welcome to Dentistry Unfiltered. I'm Matt Brown. This is Dr. Andrew Vallow. This is a new podcast being launched in dentistry. A few things before we get into who each of us are. The mission of this podcast that me and Andrew felt there was a need for is we found that a lot of the podcasts in dental kind of is a lot of fluff leading to promoting someone's product or possibly selling a product is what seems like theme with the guests is. And we decided we wanted to do a podcast that provided real value and real actionable things that a dentist can do to improve either their daily quality of life and operating the practice or their uh, employees quality of life. And also the other mission that we chose we wanted to attack in this podcast to be an overwhelming theme is to attack the dental tax in dental of we just charge more because the word dental is attached to it. So first, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Dr. Vallow. Dr. Vallow is my co-host. He'll be on every episode. And Dr. Vallow has gone from no practices at all to four in two years. I met Dr. Vallow a couple of years ago, and instantly he seemed different than every dentist I had ever met. And we've kept in touch his whole journey. I've kind of been front row for his whole journey as a constant being involved as a team member. And um, it, it's been one of those things that's been really exciting to watch and also exciting to watch how popular he's gotten in dental so rapidly. Um, a little bit about me. I'm a, I own a dental marketing company um, and also I'm a former special operations guy. I spent seven years in our special operations community. I wasn't a Navy SEAL. I wasn't a Green Beret. I wasn't a Ranger. I had a peripheral job in that community. And I'm also a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and I'm one of the two founders of Energize Group. This podcast was an idea we had to bring changes in people's mindsets and how they viewed things in dental and kind of create an overall changing culture in dental of extreme value. So first, before I get into um, Dr. Vallo and let him talk about his journey so far, the thing that made me draw to Dr. Vallo right away was how high energy he was and how plentiful his mindset was, which is kind of an odd thing in dental. Dental, um, most dentists are introverts, not extroverts, and they're not very animated or high energy. And this guy was just like jumping off his seat in his car the first time I did a video meeting with him while he was driving. So I'm gonna turn it over to Dr. Vallow and let him tell you guys a little bit about yourselves. And we're gonna get into his journey from school all the way to where we are now with four practices. Thanks for the introduction, Matt. I'm uh, really excited to take on this journey with you. Uh, for our listeners out there, I talk a little bit faster than Matt, so I'm going to try to slow it down, but you may not want to listen on uh, you know, 1.5 speed here for this. Uh, there's going to be lots of good content. I mean, that's, that's our goal. My, my favorite podcast, we're always the ones that provided content. So we, we want you guys to hear our podcast and be able to go back to your practice that same day and make changes that are going to improve production, improve profitability, improve number of new patients, things like that. You know, as Matt mentioned, I, I did go from zero to four practices in just over two years now. I started my first uh, startup practice, uh, the Dental Boutique West Chase, uh, back in April of 2021. And then I started my second startup, Best Value Dentures and Implants. That started in December of 2021. So about eight months later, we're now in summer of 2023, and I'm preparing to open two more startups, which will be offices number three and four. Um, and it's been one hell of a ride. So, so Andrew, here, you struck me right away as a different kind of dentist. 
So I talk to dentists every day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. all across the country, from startups to mature practices, from prosthodontists to regular dentists to ortho guys. And in dental, there tends to be a little bit of a, of kind of a, not a cookie cutter mindset, but there's kind of a type that fits into dental. And if I profiled a generality of a dentist, you tend to be kind of engineer minded, a little bit introverts. And um, also you kind of hunt for the perfect scenario or like the perfect conditions to do something. And when I first met you, had been two or three years ago now, you were doing your startup, your first one with Ideal Practices. And um, Stacy or somebody introduced us and you wanted to talk to me about marketing. I actually wasn't your first choice for a marketer. You actually went with someone else first. Um, and, but I wanted you bad. Like, and I didn't, it wasn't because I wanted your money. It was because when I met you, I was like, this guy is going to, I told you from the first meeting we had, I was like, you're going to be successful in dental. From like meeting one, I said that to you. And your energy was completely different than any other dentist. And your mindset was, I'll invest whatever it takes and I'm here to win it. So when you were in dental school, right? I interview dentists. So when, when, when a dentist comes to us for service, there's a 20 minute interview you have to get through with me to make sure that you're a good fit for us. And when I interview them, I ask them some questions and actually count how many times they smile during the interview to see how much of an extrovert they are. And if, if you could talk about like how different you may have realized you are now than your classmates and a little bit of what, how your mindset was different, even from the beginning, before you even owned a practice, like how were you thinking even in dental school of your future already? I talked to a lot of dentists in the startup community at, at this point, I would say I've talked to a few hundred dentists that are either have startups or going through the startup process, want to do a startup. You know, they found me on Facebook or on Instagram. We've connected. I think mindset is the main thing that sets me apart. You know, I'm, I'm not some super special dentist. I do bread and butter dentistry. I, I do some Invisalign. You know, Invisalign is a big part of our practice, but I think what really has allowed us to grow so fast is all about mindset. So as you mentioned, I was ready to do whatever it took to get our practice uh, off the ground. You know, we wanted a, a really fast start for my first startup. It only took us a couple months to hit the $100,000 a month mark, and we never looked back since then. Uh, there are months where we're seeing over 250 new patients in a month. I went from one to three time, three full-time hygienists in about uh, 13 or 14 months there. Um, but all, all of that was because of mindset. It was because I was willing to hire in, uh, team members before we were truly ready for them. I was ready to bring on an associate before we were truly ready for him. And what I did is I actually gave my patients and my dentistry to him so that he could grow in our practice. And I stepped back and I cut myself back to two days a week clinically. And that was one of the best moves that I could have made. But, you know, if, if you're afraid, if, if you're looking for that perfect scenario and, and you say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to take that leap until I know 100% that I'm going to be successful, it's going to hold you back. I mean, it's, it's going to bottleneck you. It's going to slow your growth. I have a lot of dentists that I talk to that are doing startups that say, how are you seeing so many new patients? How can I do this? Um, and we talk about marketing and we talk about doing the right type of marketing, be spending the money on marketing. Uh, and these dentists tell me all the time, I don't have that much money to spend on marketing. I can't afford to spend that much money on marketing. Uh, my response to them is you can't afford not to spend that much money on marketing. Any business out there needs to market. Any startup business, I mean, it's absolutely crucial because you don't have a patient base. You don't have a client list. 
So if, if you're a startup dental office and you think you can get away with out marketing or with spending $500 a month or $1,000 a month on marketing, it's going to really slow your growth. You're going to have to keep your associate job. Uh, you, you know, you're never going to have that million dollar startup if you're afraid. So to spend I want to get back to, you made a statement earlier that um, you pulled back to two clinical days a week. And I want to, because you're, you're seeing this from a point of view of a, of, of a dentist, you being a dental practice owner. I'm looking at this from a point of view of I talk to dentists all day, right? So just because Andrew Vallow could pull back that early and give his production to an associate doesn't mean every dentist has developed the mindset yet to do that, right? So I want to say something about Andrew. Andrew is like 80% business guy, 20% dentist. When the inverse is true of 9 out of 10 dentists, they're 80% dentist, 20% business owner. So Andrew had the ability to, to do that early. When you were in school, Andrew, and you were talking to, obviously you guys are in school and at some point you're eating lunch together, hanging out and you're having conversations and everyone at some point is talking about what's well, going to like to own their own practice. Like that's the ultimate end goal, finish line dream, right? So when you were talking to your classmates and these conversations happened in school, did you ever realize during these conversations how different you were than your classmates? And like, what were the differences you felt like, you know, the way they were talking about it versus the way you thought? And did they ever find like, because a lot of times I think about things completely differently than a lot of people. And I'm not an industry insider. And a lot of times there's a lot of things in the industry of like industry standard equals industry, right? And I'm not from your industry and I love being an outsider. And when I say things in a room full of leaders or something, everyone kind of like pulls their head back and doesn't, it's kind of like, do you really just say that? So there, there's always these moments where I realize I'm thinking differently than everyone else in the room. There, there had to have been a time during that early part of your career where you realized that. And what were the, the, the actual characteristic differences you felt? Yeah, you know, Matt, I, I don't know if I noticed those as much in dental school. When, when I was in dental school, I knew I wanted to own a practice. I mean, I, I knew that going into dental school. Um, but I think like most of my classmates, I was just trying to get through those four years uh, I mean, dental, dental school is a, you know, it's a tough experience for sure. Um, so I was just kind of, that was my focus. You know, my, that was, that was my grind was, Hey, I, I'm going to do as well as I can here. I'm going to, you know, graduate in these four years. I'm going to, I'm going to become a dentist. I will say, I, I think uh, a good friend, Paul Nacho Goodman made a comment in his dental nachos group the other day about how should dental schools be teaching marketing? Um, and I, I think they should. I mean, honestly, our, our dental business courses that we had at, at Ohio State, they were a joke. I mean, they really were. It's tough. I get it. It's four years. They, they, they want to teach you as much as they can to prepare you to become a dentist. But unfortunately, when most dentists come out, if, if they aren't taking business CE courses like breakaway courses, if they aren't using consultants like Ideal Practices, if they're not listening and consuming podcasts, I was listening to about three hours of dental podcasts Monday through Friday from the time I graduated because I had an hour and a half commute. So I was driving both ways. And rather than just listening to Joe Rogan and whoever else people are listening to, I, I was taking in all that dental content. So my main dental business education came from dental podcasts. And that's why I'm excited to give back to the dental community with our own podcast. But yeah, I would say I noticed the difference more so in those first couple of years out of school as I was consuming the content and I was dead set on, you know, getting to my own practice uh, sooner than later. I mean, it took me a couple of years. I, I graduated Ohio State in 2016 and I didn't actually open my first startup till 2021. So it was about five years, but it, the startup process can take some time too. I mean, I started looking for my startup practice. It was 
in 2019. So, I mean, it, it took almost two years from the time I started looking until we actually opened the doors. You said you were you know, spending three hours a week listening to dental podcasts and other, other sources. One thing, and you said the, the, the college classes were a joke, right? And it's the business classes were, yeah, not the clinic the business classes, classes, the business yeah. classes. Yeah. What I find in, in the academic right. environment. So to be completely transparent, I, I failed college three times, first semester every time. I'm not studious. I don't do homework. It's just the way it is. But, you know, I actually found my marketing education and like media production, the stuff I learned on a source called Linda. It was called Linda.com back then. It's LinkedIn Learning now. And you paid like 30 bucks a month and you took these courses that were like industry leaders, right? I think one thing dentists don't utilize enough of is we're in the, we're in the world now of like you can tap into expert knowledge at like a, a click of a mouse. Like I'm, I'm self-taught like 90% of what I do, right? And I, I think it's, it's important to highlight that like not having the classes or like school didn't offer this to me is not an excuse for not learning, right? Like there's, there's so many sources. And I think that a lot of dentists aren't tapping into the sources. They like check out the end of their workday and they don't self-improve themselves as a business owner or anything else. And going back to Paul Newman's post he made about marketing, I commented on it. And it was, there was a lot of comments that I thought just were unfruitful. And one was, one guy said, um, he said, that's the blind leading the blinder. And as a marketer, it's something I could see somebody saying, but I think it's kind of really uneducated. I think the real benefit from them having business classes or marketing classes or anything like that, it's a peripheral subject other than clinical, is it's not that you become an expert. It's that you know enough to navigate the experts you need to utilize, right? Like, so I have dentists meet with me, and I, this is something I've heard multiple times. How many SEOs do I need? Like, you think it's like an item you buy a quantity of? Yeah, yeah, right? And it, it's like, no, 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 it's, it's a service that improves an overall presence, right? And I think the real benefit is dentists need certain tools to navigate the individual's they're interacting with, they're, they're investing tons of money with, right? So I think one thing that makes your mindset different is I think you knew that you had to build that foundation of these peripheral knowledge bases early. And I, I think if I, if I pulled your, and I don't know this to be true, just for me interacting with dentists, if I pulled your dental class, you're probably like one of like three or four in that class that were pursuing things in that manner. Everyone else was like super book focused, probably and clinically focused. And you were probably one of the few that were like, oh, the end of this mission is me getting a practice. I should start expanding that knowledge base now, which I think was probably part of your mindset that was different then. Do you think that's a true statement that the rest of your classmates probably weren't pursuing things the same way you were? Yeah, the majority, right? The majority. So, and what's really interesting with that is I think yeah. it's a personality thing because there, there is a high probability of being an introvert if you're a dentist. And a lot of times I get asked what is the characteristic you see that is really important for a successful practice? And I'm always like, oh, Doc's chairside manner. And they're like, really? Oh, yeah, 100%. It's not the marketer. It's not the market. It's not how pretty your building is. It's not your logo. It's when Doc and patient come together in that op, how does that interaction go? And I think that the, the Docs that tend to have that other mindset or whatever that thing is, that personality difference, are the ones that get off to that like awesome start like you did. Do you think that's a truthful statement? 
Oh, I mean, I think uh, how you interact with your patients is it's huge. I mean, it's, it's one of the biggest factors for sure, but I, I think there's a lot of factors. I mean, I think it's, you know, you're not doing it by yourself. You need to have a great team. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I was ready to hire more team members before you truly needed them, but that, that's what allowed us to grow. I mean, I, I built the practice I wanted before we were there for it. One of the worst pieces of advice that I hear, and I hear it all the time, is you can't afford oh, a dental hygienist I, when you I agree with that statement. I think but it's I, a misuse of your hands to do your own hygiene. When I hear a doc tell me, oh, I'm doing my own hygiene, I shake my head. And I'm like, really? Like, do you not realize that you that the misuse of your hand time and hand speed is doing hygiene? It's expensive to hire somebody. It's expensive for you to be doing it. Yeah. I, I'd like to see the numbers on it. Uh, my, based on the dentist I talked to, my guess would be over half of dentists don't hire a full-time hygienist when they start their practice. I personally know a lot of dentists that did not. Um, you know, unfortunately it's, it's really, really tough to have enough time to do enough dental treatment if you're doing hygiene all day. So I had multiple, not, not ideal as much, you know, I, I think their approach is more, Hey, we want to help you build the practice that you want. But I had other consultants, other dentists I had from the bank. Wells Fargo did my first loan. I'm done with them. I'm with Huntington now. They're awesome. They're helping us grow really fast, but uh, the consultant at Wells Fargo basically told me like, you can't hire a hygienist. You can't afford that. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna kill your overhead. You're, you know, you're going to risk going bankrupt. I mean, this was, guy was like basically trying to tell me that he was painting a hygienist wrong. as like a and giant I, leaking hole of cash. Yeah, basically he, he said, you know, that, you, okay. you're, you're not going to be basically told me I wasn't going to be successful if I hired a hygienist. Has he ever, has he, has he ever heard of hygiene drugs? And I told him. <laughs> Well, I told this guy, I said, uh, you know, Hey, I, I appreciate what you have to say, but like, this is a non-negotiable for me. I, I am going to hire a full-time, a great full-time hygienist from day one. He said, do you know the average startup dental practice does, it was like $246,000 a year. Where are you going to find the money in there to pay a hygienist? And I said, well, my startup's going to do over a million dollars in our first year. And, and he laughed and he told me when it does, you know, send me a text and I'll send you a bottle of scotch. He, he, so he told me that I, I did follow up with him and I did let him know, here's my numbers for my first year. We did one point. It was actually, it wasn't even the first full calendar year. It was the first 12 months we were open. We did $1.25 million. It was all, actually it might've been closer to 1.3, but anyways, I sent him this text with a screenshot of our numbers. And I said, here's my address. You know, I, I like all scotch, but you know, Oban, that's a good one for me. Uh, and he said, oh, wow, that's great. I'm oh. still waiting on that scotch. And that was, uh, you know, <laughs> Horrible sales guy. Yeah. So. so part of that is this goes back to mindset, right? So I was on with a doc a couple of days. I was on with a doc. So I was I was teaching a doc, a manager, a, a wife of an owner, and an assistant two days ago. The doc is like one of the friendliest people I've ever met. This guy is like, I'm not gonna say anything about the one thing I want to be clear about is I don't want to ever say the name of the practices or the docs unless it, it's pre pre agreed upon, but. Doc was second generation American, Ethiopian, happy guy, smiles a lot. I fell in love with him the first time I met him. And his manager made a couple comments on the training that bothered me. Every time I said, hey, we have to do X to get to your goal, she would say something like, well, at the size of our practice, how small we are, I don't think that's important. And the problem with that mindset is you're like limited, you automatically limit yourself, right? You're automatically saying like, this is what we are, right? And like me and Ryan that run Energize, we always talk about like what we are two years from now, not what we are now, right? And I, I stopped the training. I said, ma'am, I said, you have to get, you have to stop saying things like that because you automatically limit yourself. 
if you say something like, well, we only do X amount of collections a month, this isn't needed yet, then you're never getting to the next goal because you're not going to do the things, right? So it's like that consultant already limiting your possibility of what you could be by averages is already telling you you're going to be average to failure, right? So a lot of times I'll meet with dentists and the only measuring stick I have to like measure you guys by is collections, right? And I'll meet with a dentist who in the interview will tell me how clinically gifted they are, all the courses they've done, their overall abilities, right? And they'll list all the treatment styles they say they do. And I'll get to collections and I'll be like, you're doing 60,000 a month in collections. And they're like, yeah, and you have been for three years. And they're like, yeah. I'll be like, I'm going to ask you a question. Don't think this the wrong way. Are you an average, above average, or below average dentist? They'll say, oh, I'm above average. I'm like, on here, you have all on fours, implants, all these expensive treatment plans listed. I was like, I look at this data every day. If you're doing less than 100 grand a month, you're not doing any of this stuff. You're barely doing bread and butter. Like, oh, that's true. I place a couple implants a year. I'm like, all right. So once again, where do you think you are as a dentist? And they'll say, I'm average or below average, aren't I? And I'm like, yeah, because you're above average to me is over 125 a month. And part of it is like what happens is we start limiting ourselves and that consultant was already planting the seed in your head of limiting you based on national averages, right? And you, you fought against it. I think what happens a lot with dentists is they label all these people in these suits with these titles, and these business cards as a subject matter experts. And then they base their business decisions off stupid statements like, $250,000 a year is the average practice. Does that make sense? No, it, I mean, it does make sense. And that, that was my biggest problem because, you know, whatever this guy said, it wasn't going to get through to me. He wasn't a consultant I paid. He was, I had to have this conversation as part of my loan obligation with the bank. So I, you know, I, I had this phone call with him and I told him, I said, I, I've got a goal and I'm going to reach it no matter what. And the biggest issue, and I, and I told him this, I said, my biggest concern is you are out there talking to all these other dentists that maybe don't have the same mindset I have, and maybe they're already afraid of what's going to happen with their startup. And, and you're telling them things that are going to slow their growth and you're going to make it harder for them to pay their bills if they don't hire a hygienist. So like, that's the hardest part is that there's this peanut gallery out there. I've never spent you know, a all day these people in a dental that practice. aren't dentists, you know, never did a dental startup or multiple dental startups. And they're out there thinking that they're giving good advice and, and they, they truly, I think for the most part have good intentions, but the problem is, is that the advice just isn't sound. And there's a lot of dentists that are taking it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of dentists that are afraid to spend money on marketing, afraid to spend money on, on good, true dental consultants. And if, if you have a great dental consultant, my experience with ideal practices was amazing. I only use them for the first practice, but I'd recommend them for anyone doing a startup because you don't know what you don't know. They save me from making mistakes. They save me money. But again, I wasn't afraid to spend money because it's not cheap. It's not cheap to hire a true dental consultant. But there's a lot of free advice out there in these Facebook groups. You know, there's a lot of people that think they know what they're talking about that truly don't. Um, and unfortunately, most of them have those limiting mindsets. You know, they're, they're all about how to save that last penny, you know, how to cut that last little bit of overhead, you know, when the easiest way to cut overheads yes. is to grow revenue. So in, in, <laughs> instead of focusing on saving an extra, you know, two cents on your cotton rolls, and I'm not saying I do my best to keep overhead in control. Our overhead was actually getting better and better. We had our strongest quarter ever at both of my offices, you know, in Q2 of 2023. So, I mean, I'm all about trying to be smart with your overhead, but at the same time, rather than focusing all this effort on something that's going to have a really small ROI, why don't you focus that effort on growing your patient base, on growing your production, 
you know, and, and we went from 1.2, whatever million in our first, uh, 12 months to 2.35 in our first full calendar year. And, you know, halfway through 2023, we're on pace to do 2.75. So, I mean, we just, every year we, we keep on growing and that's, that's just my, my flagship office. You know, we're having the same type of growth at, at my implant office as well. And again, while it's important to control overhead, I, I think too many people are too focused on that and not focused enough on, on top line revenue growth. You mentioned about the scarcity mindset of saving dollars, right? So me, me and Ryan, um, whenever we have a business problem, it's always like, well, what's all, we have the saying that we always say to each other. It, it like comes up probably once a week when we talk, right? And the saying is what solves all problems in business and it's sales or revenue, right? So from your side, it's, it's collections. My side, it's sales, right? There's a mindset difference that we're talking about. So there's two ways to have like the biggest building in a city, okay? One way is like tear down every brick of everyone else around you to not let them grow, right? And that's like, the furthest thing from fruitful. The other way is to look at your building and just get tunnel vision and build brick after brick after brick after brick after brick. And you wake up one day and you're on the hundredth story of the building looking out and you have one of the biggest buildings in the area, right? And, and the difference really is, you know, when you're looking at that margin, you can cut these things, but you're actually not doing anything to increase the revenue, right? And what happens is people tend to go one direction or another. I think that you have to be conscious of that overhead, right? But I think you have to understand that's a peripheral function of the mission of growing collections, right? So it's like, it, it's a regulatory tool to control overhead. It is not a growth tool. And people start looking at their bottom lines and their revenue, and they're listening to accountants and stuff. And the accountants are advising from a point of view of, I can't be there to grow your collections. So if I have to show value, I'll show you where I can save you money. And then everyone starts falling into that mindset. When you have to remember your mindset is, I have to grow this practice. And these other things are just like tools to regulate the size of my margin, not the tool to grow the margin. Yeah. No, and I think there's a time and a place, Matt. I think when you have a mature practice that's rocking and rolling and you're at capacity, that's the time to start cutting costs. I mean, if you have nowhere else to put butts in the seats, then why not try to save some money on marketing or on other you know, overhead expenses, cut out insurances, which I consider oh, a, form of a form of marketing. But when you're a definitely startup, a form of marketing. what'd you say? Yeah, no. But I mean, when you're a startup, when you're a newer practice, when you're a smaller practice, basically when you have availability, when, when your doctor's schedule is not full, when your hygiene schedule is not full, when you're not booking out, you know, at that point in time, again, not that you don't want to control costs. And if, if you can have the same product or the same service for, you know, less money, like, that's great. You know, I, I use buying groups. I'm part of uh, DSI, DSN. You know, there, there are awesome ways to save money on the same supplies and, and equipment and stuff that I would buy anyways. So, I mean, that's great. That's smart. You should do that from the beginning. But at the same time, if you're, if you have openings in your schedule, you should not be cutting marketing. You know, you should be spending more. I have spent at a single office upwards of $20,000 in a single month on marketing. And I, and I bet you, as you talk about what separates me from other dentists, I bet you there are very few dentists that can say that. Uh, and, and I had no problem doing it. And you know what, when I spend that kind of money, those are typically our best months ever because you know, we're, we're filling the schedule. We're adding another hygienist. We're adding an associate. You know, we're running an Invisalign special. We're running an Invisalign party where we close 16 cases in one afternoon. But I mean, those, those aren't cheap. I mean, it cost me probably about $10,000 to put it on an Invisalign party. So, I mean, if, if, if I do this and nobody starts Invisalign that day, I'm out 10 grand. 
And I mean, is it scary? Yeah, it's a little bit scary, but you know what? We've done it, I think four times now, every, every single time, you know, we close over 10 cases. It's usually between 16 and 15 and 20. I think the, our highest was 19 cases one afternoon. So, you know, what's, what's that ROI on that $10,000 when you close 19 Invisalign cases? I mean, that was well, and that well ROI worth you're talking about spent, is that one-to-one -one ROI for first treatment started. That's not talking about the long-term value ROI of each of those patients, which the ADA says is like $800 a year for five years. So, you know, like that, the first ROI is great, but the practice builder is that is they come in, they become evangelized to you as a dentist, evangelized to the experience at, at West Chase or, uh, or, whichever, or one of your other practices, and they decide to stay. That's a long-term foundational builder because they're all new patients for the most part, right? Yeah. I mean, our, our Invisalign parties, we primarily focus on marketing to new patients. We, we do eventually, you know, we let our new, our existing patients know, and we do have some existing patients that have been thinking about Invisalign that come in for these parties. The reason why our parties are so popular, I typically schedule over 100 Invisalign consultations for these parties. And the reason we're able to do that is because I give away a free case and there are once again, scarcity, abundance mindset. I've had so many dentists tell me I would never give away a free case of Invisalign. But once again, I mean, that's, that's how you grow your practice. I mean, people are excited. They come in even when they don't win they're I mean, we're offering discounts and things like that. They're, they're just excited to be there. I, I have patients that don't win that say, this is so cool that you do this. You know, I, you know, I wish other dentists would do things like this over the last two years. I've probably given away a half dozen Invisalign cases for free, but at the same time, we're platinum plus Invisalign providers. I mean, again, it's, it's a pretty big part of our practice. And I don't think we would be there if I didn't do these things like give away free cases to help build our, you know, build our brand, build our reputation. I want to go back to one other thing real quick from the Invisalign point of view, because I deal with this scarcity mindset all the time of I won't give away an Invisalign case, or if you get my chair, you have to pay me something. I don't do free consults. Okay. So I want to talk about that for a second, because that is a big mindset difference that you do have. Let's say, I don't know the, the different tier thresholds for Invisalign for bringing down your lab fee, but let's say that one case you gave away ends up being the one that pushes you over to the next tier. What is the value across all those that pretty much just paid for it, right? So, so even, even in that one scenario, it would make sense, okay? Um, I'm not going to say the name of the practice. I have a practice in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Doc has been with me for like two or three years. When, when I actually, it was funny, his wife is actually a medical doc. And when I first got my x-rays, I showed that I had bone cancer. He was like one of the first people I texted because I didn't know who to talk to. And I just met his wife a few days before. I was like, tell your, have your wife look at this for me. He's like, oh yeah, that's not good, right? So, but he has a very plentiful mindset, but he had been convinced at one point to go to paid consults by a friend. And I couldn't talk him out of it. And we went to paid consults and his return on investment from us fell by like 70% for three months and took three months to know that, right? But that echoed into the next three months because of new patient timeline and everything else. And when he saw it, he's like, oh, I should never done that. I should listen to you. But there's like a mindset thing of like, I'm of extreme value. They have to know my value before they ever meet me and they have to pay me for it. That same mindset overflows into all these other decisions, right? And we energize, if you talk to any of my people, we do free consults. Like it's just, I have all the data to prove the concept of a paid consult in this industry I don't care if you're a boutique practice or if you're a great value dentures, you know, bargain basement discount practice. The concept of a paid consult is a bad idea. It's a resistance barrier before ever meeting the doc. And the deal is if I call 10 practices in a market, 
and eight out of 10 will do a free consult, I'm never paying to go on a first date with a doc and meet you. And I already have the resistance barrier of fear, right? So your mindset of I'm gonna give away this one Invisalign case, right? That kind of overflows a lot of places of like, I can't do that because the dogs, I have docs that won't give away bite wings. Like, like I, I don't understand, you already bought the equipment, there's no unit cost. I, I don't understand the problem. If it helps you diagnose and get a yes, why wouldn't you do it? So like, did you develop that mindset or did you just already have that because that's your personality set? Yeah, I mean, I guess thinking back to when I was first opening my startup, I probably wasn't as abundance-minded as I am now. I, I think at that point, I thought that I may charge for consults or I may not give away stuff as much. But, you know, I, I realized that my number one goal was I wanted to grow. I, you know, I, I saw, I actually, I knew a dentist. Uh, I was in public health for a few years and I knew a dentist that had started a practice like 10 years ago. And they were still working at this public health place one or two days a week because they hadn't grown their practice in 10 years to the point where it could fully support them, you know, four or five days a week. So, you know, after seeing something like that, you know, it, it's daunting to take on a startup. I mean, I, I knew that I was focused. I knew I was willing to outwork anyone to make it happen. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I just, I think I hit that realization as we were getting ready to open our doors that no matter what, I just, I want to grow as fast as possible. And so I wanted to lower barriers. You know, we, we accept all PPO plans. We're a network with pretty much all PPO plans. You know, we do free consultations. I, I actually, so I see patients Tuesdays and Wednesdays now. I, Wednesday morning, I had an opening in my doc schedule. I had a free consultation there to start the day, needed a root canal and crown on the spot. We did it. So that free consultation turned into over $3,000 of production, just like that and filled my spot in the morning. Have we not offered free consultations? Would he have come to our office? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I would have been sitting there, you know, with nothing to do and just working on emails for a couple and of I'm not, And I'm not saying that your marketing has to have the word free in it. Cause I don't believe in the word free, right? I just believe in no resistance barriers. You guys, you know, dentists have two unique business conditions in America that I think are unique to be combined together. One, every person on the planet needs you. So it's a target rich environment. Two, every, the, every person on this planet has some level of dental anxiety. No one wakes up in the morning and says, man, I can't wait to hear a drill next to my ear. No one says that. Okay. So we have this resistance barrier called fear in place already. And it's controlling. I mean, like there's whole like parts of our industry dedicated to dental anxiety. But now let's have someone pay 50, 120. I had one doctor that did 179 in California for a new patient consult. Let's create a multi-hundred dollar resistance barrier to add to fear and see if they ever make it to your chair. And it doesn't make sense. It, from, a, from a human behavioral yeah. point of view, it just doesn't make sense to me. It was this weird culture no, I, when I, I got into dental. I was like, wow, this is nuts. I, I mean, I understand the concept of wanting to know your worth or know your value and, and not wanting to give away your time for free. But once again, I think time and place. If, if you have a mature practice and you've got no capacity, then why give away free consultations? It probably doesn't make sense at that point. If you're in the middle of nowhere, rural town, and you're the only dentist in town, why give away free consults? It probably doesn't make sense at that point. But if you're in a saturated market, like I am in Tampa, Florida, and I, oh my God, that was, that's the other thing people tell me all the time. These startup dentists, they say, yeah, I couldn't do what you do because I'm in a saturated market. I mean, I, I probably have a half dozen dentists every single week reach out on me on Facebook and say, hey, I saw your post. This was great. It's amazing what you're doing. You must be rural somewhere, right? You know, because I, I, could, I could never do what you're doing in my market. It's way too saturated. And I say, there's a, literally a dentist in every corner. I'm in Tampa, Florida. I, I mean, there are dentists everywhere, everywhere. There's tons of competition. I have 
over 1400 reviews for my dental boutique West Chase practice. And we're still not the most reviewed dentist, you know, in town because there are just that much competition out there. So once again, if, if you're a newer practice, if you're a startup, if you have openings in your capacity, then to me, it doesn't make sense to charge for these consultations because if there's a million dentists out there and there's a lot of them offering free consultations, that patient's probably going to go somewhere else because they don't know you. I mean, even with all of our, even with our 1400 reviews, yeah, there's some patients that would pay to come in and do a consultation, but at the same time, I truly believe we would not have grown to the point we have this fast if it wasn't for lowering the barriers okay. to entry. I want to go back to, you talked about consultants and we're at the point where you're like leading up to opening, which is about when I met you. Ideal, not to make this an infomercial for Ideal, but that's who helped you. They introduce marketing services, I think, when they sign the lease for the location. You know, consultants are, are great. Actually, I ask every dentist I, I, I talk to, you know, what consultants are you working with, if any? And a lot of times I do startups that don't do Ideal. I'll tell you this. They get pushed back months and months and months over and over again. Like, it, it, like getting open is hard. Ideal is like the ultimate business training wheels to get your first startup open. They will, they will protect you from falling and really hurting yourself and being scared to get on that bike, okay? I had a doc. I was away on a diving trip with Wounded Warrior, and she was like a week or two from opening, and she had to talk to me. And while we are on the call, and I'm really close to this doc and her husband now, and while we are on the call, she said, I can't wait for the hard part to be over. And us to be open. And I said, I said, no, 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 no. I was like, I don't want to burst your bubble here, buddy. But the hard part hasn't started yet. And she was like, really? And I think like having me and having the, the staff from Ideal around her to help push her down that road and, and support her was really important getting her to open. And there's a perception that that's like the hard part. The hard part is actually when the practice gets open. That's the hard part. Like that's when that's when hard starts. But Ideal eases that pain a little bit leading up to it. Now, you didn't use a consultant for your next three practices. But my question for you is, how important was the foundation your consultant gave you leading up to practice one for you to be able to do practice two, three, and four? Uh, it was huge. There were a lot of things that I was thinking about doing differently that after, and again, it's not like they forced my hand or told me I had to do it a certain way, but after having conversations and, you know, they have, they have different consultant specialists for different, you know, equipment or credentialing, branding yeah. or, you know, insurance credentialing, whatever it is. Yeah. They, they have different consultants for different things. But, you know, after having some conversations, I made some major course corrections. I, I actually originally thought that I was going to open my practice fee for service and not network with any insurances. And, you know, once again, they said, well, what's, what's your goal? I said, well, you know, I, I want to, I want to grow fast. And they said, well, that's probably not what you should do then. So, you know, that was, that was a big mindset shift for me. And I think once I kind of made that shift, you know, not, nothing against fee for service dentistry, it can be a great option for people. But if, if you want to grow quickly, you know, I, I knew I wanted to have an associate work with me for sure. I was pretty certain I wanted to own multiple practices. So, you know, at that point in time, they said, Hey, that, Fee for service is great, but it might not be the right option for you if you're trying to grow quickly. So just like certain things like that, you know, they saved me money on, you know, equipment. I ended up between, between kind of combining their models and, and breakaway models. I saved a lot of money, not doing a bunch of cabinetry. I actually designed my own cabinetry. I'm, you know, I'm not a carpenter. I'm, this is something I've never even thought about doing before. Uh, but you know, with, with some of their help, I designed my 12 o'clock cabinets and 
saved tens of thousands of dollars on cabinetry versus, you know, if I would have just bought cabinets off Benko or, you know, Henry Schein. Or that that kind of comes down to that, that dental tax thing again. I don't like, I shop the stuff and look at it and I'm always like, I'm not a dental owner, but I'm always inside dental and I'm always amazed by like, why are these cabinets so expensive, right? They're drawers and hardware and handles and, you know, and particle board. And they're buying this from someone making it and they're shipping it and throwing a logo on it, then jacking it up, right? And like, I have a doc who is, um, he's here in North Carolina. And instead of going with, with cabinets for like surgical stuff and whatnot, and I have another doc actually down in Texas that did the same thing. They got like tool chests from like Home Depot and they're on wheels and they move them from room to room and save themselves tens of thousands of dollars. And the root, what's really, what I like about his rooms are, is for me, especially being a disabled person, his rooms are way more open now because these items don't live there permanently. Like he has some cabinetry, but they're like, the rooms are more comfortable to me because they're not as claustrophobic, claustrophobic feeling. And me being disabled, I need a lot of space to move. So when I saw his, when I saw how more open his rooms were, that was instantly attractive to me because of how hard it is for me to move around a room, but it also saved him tens of thousands of dollars. Right. I was just going to say, you know, my wife and I did the interior design, mostly my wife for the practice. And like our idea was modern minimalistic. We wanted to minimize clutter, minimize, you know, distractions. And so that's why we have no side cabinetry. Same thing. Like when you walk in the room as a patient, you see the dental chair and you see three TVs. You know, there's two on the wall, one on the ceiling, breakaway style, but that's it. I mean, there's no side cabinetry. There's no nothing sitting there with instruments on it. Uh, you know, it, it helps kind of bring down that fear factor versus walking in a traditional op where you just see supplies and equipment and things everywhere. I mean, that's what the typical dental office looked like for years and years. So, so another thing that I noticed about your mindset from the beginning, which I think is why maybe you had a little bit of resistance when working with ideal with some of the things they told you is I think that you have a mindset of just cause we've always done it this way. doesn't mean it's the right way. And you don't believe industry standard is industry, right? And you're always looking at it from like, what is the, what is the best way I can find to do this? Not necessarily what, if someone says, I've always done it this way. So a lot of times I deal with office managers and, and they, they despise the statement when I say it, they'll say something to me like, well, I've done it this way for 30 years. And I'll be clear, I've been dental four years, right? And my, my reply back will be, well, you can do something mediocre to horrible for 30 years and no one tells you. And they pull their head back. And I'm like, I, experience doesn't equal right where standard doesn't equal good, right? So you looked at it from the outside and said, well, I want minimalistic space and I'm gonna buy these cabinets or have them designed and built from a non-traditional dental source. And I think that kind of thinking is coming into dental more now. Um, I have more docs now that aren't going to Benco and aren't going to Henry Schein and are going to Amazon and stuff to buy certain PPE supplies and stuff and saving tons. So you had a mindset very early that you didn't subscribe to standard industry thinking. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do buy a lot on Amazon too. I, I love my Benko rep, he's a great guy. Uh, my, my first equipment quote for my first office from Benko was over $200,000. And after going back and talking to my ideal consultants and talking to Benko, and I actually kind of pitted Benko against Shine a little bit to try to see if you can give me some better pricing. I think my total I end up spending on equipment with Benko was around eighty thousand dollars. So we we saved you know over one hundred and twenty thousand dollars on equipment. So from first from where quote they started to where we ended to up. delivery, you saved one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Just 
just round and, and, Plus, and ideal yeah. had some influence on guiding you with that your consultant so rather than just constantly branding ideal let's say the consultant oh, yeah. had what was the cost of your consultant roughly you don't have to give exact amount what was your cost yeah i mean i from what i've seen most startup consultants cost in the ballpark of fifty thousand dollars so it was it was fifty thousand dollars that i basically budgeted into my startup cost but i would say without a doubt that i saved over fifty thousand dollars on startup costs with so some really just that one transaction because most dentists the, what, the mentality i've seen is they get a quote for 200k from one of the big suppliers and they say can you do a little better and they come back at 180 and they go okay and i feel like that win of 20 grand was it but between the brain of your consultant and your brain working together on that one transaction which is honestly one of tons of transactions to open a practice you found $120,000 of savings because of your mindset and working with a consultant. So that one transaction more than paid for the cost of that consultant. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, Matt, as I mentioned before, I don't have money or I don't have problems spending money on things that have ROI. So that's, that's my advice to you dentists out there that are doing startups is don't be afraid to spend money on things that are going to return value for you. Things like an iTero scanner. Again, a lot of dentists I talk to are like, oh, I want to do Invisalign but I don't want to spend that much on an iTero. What should I do? And I'm like, well, okay, if you're not going to buy an iTero, you're probably not going to do a lot of Invisalign. I, again, I don't know the numbers, but I would guess there's not many platinum or diamond Invisalign uh, providers that don't have an iTero. So yes, expensive cost, but once again, with the amount of Invisalign we do, it paid for itself extremely quickly. Uh, not to mention patients love it. They think it's cool. I mean, getting to show them uh, the, the 3D scan of their teeth and th show them simulations of what Invisalign can do for them. Uh, something else I bought off the get-go, Amazon massage chairs, amazing. I bought I bought two of them uh, because we had seven ops and I only equipped five to start. So the other two rooms got massage chairs in them. And once again, patients love that. I was I was actually bittersweet when we grew so fast that I had to equip the other rooms and we had no more room for the massage chairs. So one sitting at my mom's house, uh, you know, happy Mother's Day, mom, or whatever it was. So I told you I, I see patients Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I started this morning going into the office. That's why I'm wearing scrubs right now. Right before we jumped on here, I was delivering crowns to my mom. So that, that's the cool thing about being a practice owner is being able to, to do things like that and, and help your family. I'm doing Invisalign on my cousin right now. So, you know, like, just like, I guess that's like a little segue from where we were at, but I just, I thought that was cool too. You know, talking about the, the mindset part of this, right? So your consultant helped you, you got open, um, you're getting to those early opening days. You said the statement that, you know, you, you have no problem investing in things that, that give you ROI. And a lot, a lot of times you talk about the, you got, you end up at the, um, at the Atero scanner, which I have so many dentists say this to me and I, and I, cr I cringe. So I had a dentist who's really close to me make this statement to me one day and I cringed. And he said, I got an Atero scanner, Invisalign bamboozled me and said, oh, they'll pay for it. We'll give you the scanner. But I had to do so many cases and I didn't do it. Now I got to pay for the thing. And they're trying to put the blame on, on, on the company. But in my opinion, they gave him an easy way to get the Atero scanner and justify it, you failed to do the cases. I talked to that dentist, I said, how many times do you talk to patients about Invisalign or how frequently? And the guy was like, oh, well, I have an Invisalign poster in my waiting room. I'm like, if you want to do the cases to pay for that terror scanner, you better bring it up to every patient every day, all day, and it'll eventually get paid for. But one of the questions I ask when I interview, when I interview dentists, when you go down through like the treatments and they say Invisalign, I'll, make, I'll ask a question. I'm not really asking the question to figure out how they're doing Invisalign clinically, I'm asking to see what their mindset's like. And I ask, do you do, do you have an Antero scanner or do you do impressions? 
And they say, oh, impressions. I'm like, all right, this doc probably isn't doing a lot of Invisalign. I would say that there's probably no platinum plus tier level guys doing Invisalign with impressions, right? I'd be surprised, right? I would, I would so, be surprised. Just the, the process of yeah. impressions. Like if you think about, people say the Itero scanner is expensive, right? When I sit in a dental practice, I try to see how much movement employees make that is wasteful, right? So let's say we have a patient, go, we have an assistant goes in and, and does impressions, and I'm not clinical, so if anything crazy, you can say, Matt, you're nuts. And they, they bring the impression to the doc to show it to the doc. The doc says it's no good, redo it again. And let's say they make two trips to redo that impression. Let's say that's the standard. And that's, that's making it twice as long to start the treatment for Invisalign. One, you have the dollar value of the time of the patient going back and forth. But also, it's not the best experience for the patient. No one likes gooey stuff on the roof of their mouth that they're trying to get rid of the rest of the day. Like zero. So from a quality of work point of view for the assistant, the Atero scanner is way better. For a patient experience point of view, the visual effect of seeing the simulation is amazing, right? But also for an overall patient experience of comfort, no one likes impressions. So when a doc tells me, oh, I do impressions, I don't have Itero scanner. In my head, I'm like, you're not really committed to doing Invisalign. It's an indirect indicator of what the mentality is like towards certain treatments in the practice, right? And I just feel like I'm always astonished when people tell me, oh, yeah, I do impressions. That's like saying I still have paper charts. Does that kind of make sense? Yep. I almost bought a practice of paper charts. That's maybe, maybe a long story for another day. But uh, before I did my first startup, I was in the 12th hour of about signing on a practice that had uh, film x-rays and paper charts and... Yeah, yeah I for sure. Things happen for a reason, Matt. So, and I, I think that. So yeah. real quick, so we get um, open, right? So I, so Ideal got you to open. Yeah. Now you go to the practice the first day. You do your dress rehearsal. I know how all that goes. I've done to lots of them with Ideal. You're open. Ideal leaves. Your training wheels come off, right? That That's kind of like going from practice to reality. How much does your mindset change when reality hits and you're on your own? You know, I, I don't know if my mindset changed a lot. I would say I probably got hungrier. You know, I, I got hungrier to get new patients in the door, to grow, to close treatment, you know, to, to just get our practice off the ground. So, you know, again, it's, it's that abundance mindset, but that whatever it takes mindset. And I was at that point, we weren't even working together yet. So I, I had uh, worked with another marketing company that was doing okay, but I was very hands-on with it. I was doing a lot of things myself. And uh, I was doing a lot of ground marketing, which ground marketing can be helpful. But I'll tell you what, when you get to the point where your practice is growing and you're busy and you're opening multiple practices, you don't have time for ground marketing. So, you know, I, I think things sh shifted very quickly as far as me figuring out, hey, what is the best way to get new patients in the door? And, and I pretty quickly figured it out. It was by Facebook ads. You know, I, I, I realized that even before, you know, we ended up signing on with you guys. And so we, we were seeing a lot of new patients coming from Facebook ads, from free whitening, which again, a lot of people don't like giving away, but I'll tell you what, it definitely gets people in the door. You know, we can have a you, conversation you do, again another day. You do we free lifetime marketing about free whitening and you the quality of patients. What? No, no, no. We, we do, we do one time so free whitening, but, uh, we, we do offer whitening for life. Uh, it's, okay. it's $199. Yeah. So it's really low cost. It's just, it's a way to keep patients okay. excited so, to come so back. Yeah. It, maybe it's some kind of lifetime whitening uh, deal. So you, you get open, your mindset really didn't shift too much. You, you mentioned earlier about, you kind of went into like a, a little bit of a, a hungrier mindset, right? 
I, and you mentioned about ground marketing, about how it's important. So one thing for, for dentists that are listening, and, and this is really odd coming from an agency owner, right? The agency is not the silver bullet for all your growth. And it isn't. And a lot of times people ask me about startups, like, what did you see that made each startup different from being successful? The docs that did ground marketing were always the most successful ones, the ones that I dealt with the least. And I think it's not the fact they did ground marketing. I think it's the fact that their personality set, they weren't scared of going door to door and meeting business owners or, or meeting people in the marketplace. I have, I have docs that are like, I'll be like, how much ground marketing have you done? And they'll say, oh, none. And I'll be like, why? And they'll say something like, I just, I just, I'm not the kind of person I'll go out there and just talk to people. And where that, I think that translates and reflects is chairside manner because what docs don't realize is, and this is something for docs to think about, they're going to do a startup is when you're an associate, your operational tempo is you come in in the morning, you have morning huddle, and you have this giant list of work you're going to do all day long. And someone has set that list up for you, owner doc or owner doc and a case presenter or somebody like you haven't been as much of an impacting factor from what I've discovered on the acceptance of a lot of that treatment, right? But now you open a startup, you have no existing patients, and it's nothing like being an associate because you go on endless first dates in the form of consults, and that's a different operational tempo. And I'll have docs call me and say, I don't want to do any more consults, I just want to do work. And in my head, I'm like, where do I find these patients that have already said yes, I haven't met you yet, right? And like, I want to get away from the consultation model. I'm like, you have a startup. That's the only model. Like, I don't know. That's how the relationship starts. That's like saying, like, I want to get right to marriage. I don't want to go on a blind date. Like, so a lot of times I have docs who are, one, scared to do, they're scared to go out and do ground marketing. And then I know instantly when, that, when, I, when I find that out that they're going to be scared when a patient is in their chair and they have to make a human connection, right? And get this person to like them. So, you know, I think when docs do the ground marketing, where the real value of that is, is that's great practice at building a connection and speaking to strangers and getting comfortable with that. Would you, would you say that's true? I know. I, I agree with you, Matt. I do. I, I think the flip side of the coin is that I do have a lot of dentists that come to me and say, I'm doing ground marketing. I don't understand why my startup's not growing. I think ground marketing is a really nice addition to other forms of marketing. I, I think you're right. It, it can be a good way to... Now, granted, I think going out a few times and talking to people is not going to really change your personality or your demeanor. I spent years waiting tables. I, I accredit a lot of that you know, to some of my bedside manner, success, things like that, because I, I see myself as part of the hospitality industry. I mean, yes, we're a medical provider, but at the same time, like we want to do dentistry differently. You know, we, we offer amenities a lot of offices don't offer. You know, I have old school video games, Super Nintendo N64 in the lobby. We have a fancy espresso machine. We do sparkling water. You know, we've got Netflix on the ceiling. We've got noise canceling headphones and soft blankets. We've even got a, a scent for our office. It's white tea and time. It's the same scent that some of the popular hotel brands use. So when patients walk in, we don't look, feel, smell, you know, anything like a dental office. Um, and I, I think, you know, that goes a long way to, again, just experience I had in the restaurant industry trying to provide better service for our, our customers. Cause that's what our patients are. They're customers. You know, they can choose to buy dental services or not to, that goes a long way to it. I, I do, I think ground marketing could help people work, you know, especially introverts who need to overcome their fears of talking to patients. Yeah. It can help them because it can be a little bit intimidating to go out to some 
marketing type event or networking event and just start striking up conversations. I joined the Chamber of Commerce when we first opened and I used to go to a lot of those meetings and, and I met a lot of business owners there and a lot of them became patients, which is great. But once again, if, if that was all I did, if I only ground marketed and I didn't spend any money on social media ads, any money on Google ads, I, there's no way we would have grown this fast because I, I, you've got a limited amount of time that you can go out and ground market and you're, you, you're only going to get so many patients from doing that. So I, I think it's a nice addition. I don't think it's a substitute. I don't think it's a substitute, but I think it's a good place to find some low cost ROI. You know what I mean? Like it, it's like, so yeah. when you're leading up to a startup opening, you're probably working as associate, maybe two, three days a week. At least you should only be working as associate a couple of days a week. If you're trying to focus on doing a startup and you know, the rest of that time, what are you really doing? Like, like if there's a place to apply yourself, like it all it's costing you at that point is your time. So if you get five, 10, 15, 20 patients over the course of a few months of ground marketing, it, that's great ROI, but also everyone always talks about, you know, word of mouth marketing is the best, right? Well, what's better than those people going back out into the marketplace and speaking positively about you? And you need the agency also to drive that traffic because they're going to produce the same people. You're going to pay for them. And when you, when you buy those people from the agency, they, if you have, they have a good experience, they'll go into the market as well. But you said something that's really critical. It's funny. I've never heard it said that way. I'm going to steal it. You know, you're part of the hospitality industry. And where it's really important in yours is when you go to a spa or a, or a hotel, you're not overcoming fear, right? So it's, I, would, I would actually say that your hospitality experience is even more critical because fear is coming into it. Because Dennis, depending on what list you look at, are top 10 fears in America, right? No one ever says, I'm scared to go get a massage at a spa, right? So, like, to embrace the hospitality mentality is actually even more important on your side. What's really interesting is a lot of docs tell me things like, I want to have a spa-like practice. But then the action on a daily basis is, like, all their investments, everything is clinically focused. It's all CE courses that are clinically focused, buying equipment, but not hospitality focused. Like I ask docs all the time, what's more important, chairside manner or clinical ability? Like, oh, chairside manner. My next question is, when was this time you bought a CE course for chairside manner or invested anything in it, even time to role play? He's like, oh, we never do. I'm like, so we know it's the most important thing, but there's not even a time investment or a dollar investment put into it. But you bought a mill this year and a scanner and another chair and spent 200 grand over here, but we didn't do anything to get better at handling the patient. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. I, I think, unfortunately, while there's an issue with scarcity mindset in, in dentistry, I think there's also an issue with dentists being willing to spend money on things that aren't bringing ROI. So they're, they're, they're buying the $20,000 Ajax chairs. My, my, our chairs look great. You know, I'll, I'll, we actually just did a video in my office. We'll post a link at some point, but they're not $20,000 chairs, you know, they're, they're DCI. I think they were six or $7,000. So, I mean, patients don't know the difference. I guarantee if you pulled, if you pulled a hundred patients who sat in one of the high end ADEC chairs versus sitting in my chairs, I don't think a single one would be like, Oh, this chair is so much better. I, our chairs have ultra leather. They're nice. They look nice. But again, some dentists just think they have to spend money on those type of products, which don't drive the ROI. But that, that same dentist, they won't buy the $700 massage chair to put in their empty room. So they're like, oh, I can't afford that. They, they won't buy the $800 espresso machine. Oh, I'll just, I'll just get a little Keurig or something like that. But again, patients love they come in and they can get a cappuccino or an espresso or whatever. Like those little touches make a big difference. So again, I think that's one of my big advice points is spend money on things that patients are going to notice, 
that you know are going to set your office apart, that are going to drive ROI and save money on things that they're not going to notice. Save money on the cabinetry, save money on the ADEC chairs. You know, don't don't spend tens of thousands of dollars on these things that aren't going to improve production or patients or, or improve the. There's two things that I focus on when I start thinking about these decisions, and I clear i've never bought or opened a practice me and ryan we make no hide of this we are actively looking for small dso's to invest in we were close with one um i had some issues kind of pulled us back from it but i've I've spent a lot of time looking at this kind of stuff and with this particular doc he's in arkansas he's a great guy he's he's awesome he thinks kind of like i do when i look at where i'm investing things and starts getting the thousands of dollars i look at two experiences does it make my employees more efficient and more experienced increase the quality of their work day or does it increase the quality of the patient experience? Because the, the human impact that happens in a dental practice is, is critical because it's going back to that fear thing, right? Where your staff working hard and having an enjoyable work life. So when I look at where I invest, where we would invest money in a practice, I kind of start with, this is overly expensive. Is it increasing the quality of new patient experience? Okay, and if it is, is my staff actually gonna utilize it? So the next thing is, all right, so this thing's gonna increase the quality of new patient experience. Now, the next question is, is my staff going to actually utilize it because is it something that's actually functional for them? And if it's something that isn't patient-facing and it's, it's something that my, my employees deal with, my question is, is it really going to impact them in a positive way if it's costing this much money? And if you can't answer one of those two questions, I think it's a bad investment. That's just me, though. I've never opened a practice. You've done four. Do you think that thinking makes sense? Yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, I, I think those are my two. My, my two focuses are is this going to improve the patient experience or is this going to help, you know, patients visualize treatment and two, is it going to increase efficiency in my office? And I'm all about efficiencies. We, we outsource a lot. I've got a, a full time call center, golden goose. Yeah, I, Dr. I, they're Hall, the standard for, for, for all my practices. Every practice I talk to that uses a call center that's successful. The, the name that comes up every time is golden goose. Yeah, no, they're, they're great. I mean, they, they answer every single new patient phone call we've ever had at any of my offices. New patients do not get through to my office. They, they get through to Golden Goose. Golden Goose schedules them. Very high answer rate. I think it's usually 98, 99%. Very high booking rate, You know, much higher than most dental offices in the country can do, even with highly trained team members. And it takes the burden of the ringing phone off my team so that my team can be more focused and present on the patients that are there right then. So I think that's been huge for us. We outsource insurance billing and verification. That's been really big. Uh, you know, obviously outsource, you know, marketing, uh, with Energize, we outsource patient text reminders, call reminders with flex. I know a lot of offices have patient, you know, communication software these days, but flex has been great. It even reminds patients when they're overdue for recalls automatically. And the crazy thing is this was a big mistake I made. I didn't realize I was part of the software. I had it turned off for like the first year we were open. And then I really, it was, it's been a game changer. I mean, our, our recall system has improved so much just by turning that basically button on. And now when patients are overdue for uh, recall cleaning, they get an automated text from our office saying, hey, you're overdue. And a lot of them just schedule online. We've got online scheduling with Flex. I think if you're spending money on things that make your office more efficient and allow your team to be more present with the patients that are there, that's huge. I'm a big proponent. Actually, I've never met with any of the people at Flex, but a lot of my successful practices have it. Whenever I find a successful system in practice, I should learn about it. A couple things I like about Flex is I like their recall system. I like their digital forms a lot. But one thing I do love is they're one of the only people, I believe I'm right in saying this, that has a case presentation tool built in as well that focuses on financing options. And I think Flex has thought really well from like outside to inside the practice. I should probably meet with them because I really do believe in their product. But I think that, you know, one thing that 
dentists do fall into is they buy these they buy these uh feature rich products and they don't really focus on feature effective like i have people that have i'm not gonna say the name of the company but a, a very overly expensive voice over ip phone system that is very feature rich and costs four to six hundred dollars a month when voice over ip phones shouldn't be that much but if you really got down to it what are you really using in that system using texting and calling and call recording you can get that with like a mango voice right which mango's probably my favorite voice over ip i like I like mango a lot i think it's feature effective right and um one thing i like about flex is it's very feature feature effective but there is a lot of features there but i think they've really focused on what is the user experience versus just providing a lot which i think is good so so go, go on there so now, so now you're open right and you're a, you're like six months or so into open and i think right around then is when you started talking about location two it was about six months in was that right that was actually pretty crazy so my my implant offices uh I've, I've got a partner on that side he's a periodontist and uh he's he was my neighbor and we used to go to the same gym and so he'd always ask me how my startup was going and you know we i'd tell him about how we were growing fast and stuff like that and one day i just i said to him i said what do you think about a dental office that focuses on more affordable specialty implant procedures you know full arch cases like that's that is the main focus of the office because for the most part they're either being done at a specialist office or a super gp or a combination where the implants are being placed at the periodontist or the oral surgeon and then being restored at you know the prosthodontist or the general dentist um, i said what if we just what if we find some really amazing super gps and we open these offices and, and we offer a lower barrier to entry, you know, more reasonable cost because these can be $50,000 procedures. So what, what if we can get the cost down? We, you know, what if we integrate all the technology, 3d printing, things like that? Do you think this would be a good business model? And he was like, I love that idea because you know, at his offices, I mean, he's a specialist. They, they were charging lots of money. It's, it's, it's a big barrier for most people coming in. And he was like, there's definitely a market for that. So that this was like September, we started talking about it. And then in October, we just came across an old dental office that had unfortunately been evicted and they, they needed someone to take over the lease. When I say old, it was no, like, it was I've like been in this practice. It hadn't been definitely dated. And yeah, <laughs> had, hadn't been updated in like 50 years. So anyways, just one of these like wacky situations. And it was five miles from my, my first practice. And uh, we said, Hey, what? Let's do it. Why not? We just we just basically had to sign a lease and, and do a little bit of a facelift on the practice. The construction took a few weeks. The lease took a few weeks to sign and we were open and seeing patients in December. So from from September talking about this idea to October finding this space to December seeing patients, it it was like the opposite of most dental startups of how fast you know we got our doors open there. There's another interesting part of your mindset there that makes you unique is I think you understand this goes against the traditional dental uh, model that the dental like person is there's no like perfect conditions, right? So you're like opportunity came up to snatch up this practice. You didn't set, you didn't in your head say, Oh, we just started talking about this. The timing has to be right. What you said was the opportunity is right and I'll create the timing. Right? So a lot of times dentists have this mentality of like, I'll ask a dentist, like, you know, how many practices do you want to own? Oh, five. How long do you want to do that? Because I'm trying to understand their mentality. I don't care when they want to do it, right? They'll say, oh, maybe 10 or 15 years. And I'll say, why 10 or 15 years? They'll say, well, I, I think that's how long it should take. I'm like, why? Why does it take that long? I know a guy that did four in two years. Use you as an example. I have other docs that have done five or six in four years. I know a doc 
who did 57 in like less than 10 years, right? So like the rate at which you do it, there's no right timeline for the stuff, right? So you and him had this conversation, opportunity came up and you both said, we're doing it, right? And I, I know this practice intimately. So when people hold themselves back from that, the fear is the fear of failure, right? But the deal is, you it's like the Michael Jordan thing. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? I think they said that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm re-watching that. Are you, have you watched Air yet? Documentary right now. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, Air was great. Uh, yeah, I have. Air's a great movie. That was, that was good. That was pretty good, too. The documentary I, I like, is awesome. I like the documentary, though. That's, that's I love good. the scene where he's playing yeah. dice or, or quarters with the security guards, and he's, like, gambling with, like, dudes that make, like, back then, $8 an hour. He's, yeah. He's just that competitive. And I think that's, that's why he was so great is because of his so, competitive drive. You know, sure. you, you didn't have that fear, right? And you and the periodontist just said, we're doing it. And that practice kind of fits where it's above affordable dentures kind of and below clear choice. If it's that middle section kind of, right? Yeah, we're, we're pretty competitive with affordable dentures. Right? The, I think the big difference between us and affordable dentures is we don't really focus on like traditional dentures. We will, we'll do them here and there. But like our main focus, our main advertisements, you know, the patients that we're targeting, they're the full arch implant cases. So, I mean, I, for, so for July, we already have, I think, nine different full arch patients scheduled for surgeries. Our doctor there, Dr. Shaw, he's going to be out of the country for a week and a half in July. So our, our schedule for July, you know, as we're approaching this recession or whatever people are talking about, and I've seen posts in groups about how procedures are down, you know, oh, I'm seeing less all on X's, I'm seeing less Invisalign. We've got nine surgeries already scheduled for July and we're only open three to four days a week there and we're closed for a week and a half. So I, our, our July is pretty much booked. We've only got like um, one or another, two another, left, another so. place where you were different too is there's, there's a mindset of part-time effort, part-time results, right? Full-time effort, full-time results. A lot of times I'll do I'll meet with startup docs and they'll be like, I'm going to open two days a week to start. And with Energize, unless you open three days a week, you can't work with us. Because you're, you're, where that limits you isn't just the amount of production you can do in two days. It's the variety of convenience of appointment you can offer a patient. So you, you're, you're automatically limiting your population that will say yes to you just from the appointment booking point. Because if you're open Monday and Friday and they're only available on Wednesday, you have no hope of giving that patient because that barrier, right? So one thing I remember, too, is you kind of hit the ground running and you ran your practice from day one. Like it was a full-time practice leading up to practice two, how important was just that factor in hitting those high collections numbers? Yeah, we, we start our, or I start our startups at three days a week. So it's like three full-time days. We don't block out lunch breaks. I, I'm not, <laughs> all of my team members may not agree with me, but I'm, I'm not a big fan of like our lunch breaks. I think they kill the day. I think people get tired. Uh, don't feel like coming back. I mean, that's that's how I always worked. I, I never wanted to take a lunch break. And so I said, hey, you know what? I'm setting up my practice without it. And I, I let our team know before we start. I said, hey, everyone's going to have time to eat. You know, you're just going to have to take turns, cover for each other. You know, we, we block off like 20 minutes on our hygienist schedule. But by doing that, we're able to be open three days to start eventually four. You know, I, I'm a big believer in three-day weekends for our team. So we're all about like work-life balance. You know, we, we're all about creating a, a great uh, environment for our teammates and for our patients. But I guess maybe part of the reason I don't like to eat lunch is I, I like got big in that intermittent fasting fat. I'm actually on like hour 40 of a 72 hour fast right now. So I'm you can tell I did not get on that fat. <laughs> yeah, I am much fatter than you. I have a giant head. I didn't get on yeah. that. Fat. 
Well, I'm trying to battle that dad bod right now. So, you know, it's it, the, the pounds don't come off as easy as they did Listen, you know, when dad, I was in my 20s. Three, so, three kids in, you uh, just embrace do, do, Doing what I can there. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe I'll get there at some point. I, I struggle with it right now, though. So, so yeah, so our practice is open at three days a week. They're, they're nine-hour patient days. So we're, we're about 27 hours of patients right from the time we open our doors. Um, and we, we market pretty aggressively. So, you know, we, we do the best to create enough consultations during those three days that we're pretty full. And, and for the most part, it works pretty well. And then usually within about three to four months, we've grown enough that we can open that fourth day. And at four full-time days a week, that's, that's kind of max capacity for us. You know, I mean, maybe eventually if we grew the point and I wanted to bring in a whole second team, but I, I really don't want my uh, dental team to have to work five days because again, we, we work really, really hard while we're there. So I, I really feel like that three-day weekend gives them time to recover and it allows them to have that work-life balance that they're happy right. to, to and, and real quick. So. We have to start concluding this here and soon. So we're going to go over an hour. I've totally experienced the lunch break at your practice. So I don't really buy lunch for the practices <laughs> when I work there and I came to your practice. You guys were having a potluck that day and we were working all day. And like, I looked at my, my watch and I was like, it's three o'clock. Are we going to eat? And I remember I was, I was in the office, a little crammed office, do your associate and your case presenter. She's a stud. And we're all in there together. And I'm like, when do you guys eat? And basically, it was, it was like we graze all day. It was basically the mentality. It was like, there's food in there. If you want to eat, you got to go eat. But we, we don't stop. And what I noticed was the energy level of your practice, you're right. 8 a.m. energy level is the same as 3 p.m. energy level. Because there isn't an all stop, yeah. all eat, all restart. The machine is just moving. And components kind of go down and come back on as they need to. I agree with you, actually. I think that actually does increase pressure. So, so actually... My sister worked at one of my dentist practices. My sister-in-law was a, was a hygienist, and she worked in my dental, one of my dental practices. And that practice doesn't shut down for one-hour breaks. I know this, this doc and you doc are real similar, except for his personality isn't as awesome as yours, but he's as hardworking as you are. And, like, they don't shut down for an hour either. And they're actually my highest collections practice per operatory on the system. And I think part of it is not shutting down for that hour. Now, for dentists... That doesn't mean you don't give a lunch break. Let's clarify this for HR reasons. You have to provide a lunch break. It's just not an all shut down practice one hour. Yeah. We're not, we're not advocating for no lunch breaks. What we're advocating for is do not shut the machine down for an hour. I agree. And I mean, like I said, we, most of my team or everyone except for me likes to eat during the day. So, you know, I'm, I'm like the only psycho there, but we always make sure they have time to eat. It's, it's, it's just team team members have to take turns covering for each other that's that's all it is you know whoever's whoever's our front desk team member at that point somebody else covers the front while they go and eat so i mean it works out well but again it it i do i think it increases productivity we don't get that like lull i mean some offices do like hour and a half breaks how, how do you like go back after that and want to do the afternoon i mean i i never did i i used i worked in offices that had full hour lunch breaks and it was it was tough to like get that momentum go and get that motivation to like really go kill the afternoon you just you want to go home at that point you know especially depending on what you're eating but i want to get a little bit into going to the next two practices and then i want to kind of conclude this so so we got practice two open we're probably like not even into year one of that practice and i think if my memory is correct and, I, and you don't care about talking about numbers i think i believe we were at a point where like practice one had been open and you hit like 1.4 at this point you were a little over a year and practice two was nowhere near a year. And I want to say we were somewhere between five and 800,000 in practice two at that point. And like, it was like a year and a half of having two practices 
and your total collections you generated, and I might be wrong, so correct me, was over two million at this point. And you were, I think you called me and we talked and you were like, yeah, we're like actual service time, actual practice open time, total between the two calendar time, a year and a half, but we're at like two million in collections already. already. Where like all the startups I talk to, I ask them what their first year goal is, and they're like, oh, million dollar practice. And you would build basically two $1 million practices if you talk about just collections in less than a two year period. Is that right? Yeah, so our, our first full calendar year for both practices was 2022. So we, we opened in April of 21 for the dental boutique. We opened in December of 21 for best value dentures and implants. So, you know, January, actually January was the first like, actual month for that practice because we opened in mid-December. Um, so 2022 calendar year, our first full calendar year for both offices, we did a combined $3.8 million. So... I was hoping to hit that four mark. We fell a little shy. We're going to crush it this year. I'm, I'm actually hoping with the new practices opening, uh, right now we're targeted to open in August, but I'm, I'm hoping with the new practices opening and with the growth of the continued growth of the other two practices that okay. we, we may be. So you got two practices. They're both supporting themselves. They're obviously both profitable on some level, but they're both in their, their, their infancy stage. And then for whatever reason, it's not enough for Andrew Vallow. Like, not good enough. You, you've already done things that, like, what, what strikes me is, like, if, if I talk to other dentists, I tell them just what you did the first two, there's kind of a little level of disbelief, right? Like, ah, whatever. Like, you know, guy got lucky, lightning strikes. But then you're like, well, this isn't good enough. So I want to go, you know, four million, two practices isn't enough. I want two more, right? So you're not satisfied, obviously. But, like, there's no fear there now and some can say well there isn't fear because you've been successful twice already right but you don't let fear govern your decisions so tell me a little bit about that like why like what like when you went from like two and four million to two more signing two more leases two more loans trying to hunt down two more sets of staff during a period in dental when you cannot find staff members like listen the biggest barrier to growth is, is people you're, you're doing this in a down economy it's hard to find staff members. There's a lot of reasons. If, if you're looking for that perfect scenario and trying to check all the check boxes, Andrew's got a lot of reasons not to do it. That strikes fear in a lot of dentist owners. I mean, I have DSOs right now that are like, we're not doing any more new opens. But Andrew Vallow goes, I did two, I'm doing two more. T tell me the thinking of that. So I actually made the decision to open these other two startups back in June of 2022. So best value dentures and implants had only been open about six months. I had already been thinking about, hey, what's, what's our next move? There's an area of Tampa that I was really interested in getting some practices into. And I actually, I got a call from a uh, realtor friend of mine uh, about a, a new building that was going up in this exact area I was looking for. Um, I was actually, I was at the DSI uh, summit event they have every year. Uh, I was, I was sitting poolside. It was like the summit had just ended. So we were sticking around for another day and his wife and I were there. And so I'm sitting poolside, I get this phone call and he's like, Hey, what, what do you think about this? And immediately I was like, this is what I want to do. Let's do it. So very quick decision. We started moving forward, you know, looking at the lease and everything else. Um, but yeah, we're, we're building a 4,000 square almost done. We're, we're building a 4,000 square foot office. 
uh, and we're going to have both the dental boutique and the best value brand in the same office. So it's, it's a different concept than the first two. We're going to have shared spaces. There'll be shared sterilization, uh, you know, shared break room, shared doctor's office, things like that. So and on, on, on the scrubs, they're going to do both logos on the scrubs. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean like technically they're in the same building, but like there's so separate entrances, separate, separate waiting rooms. So we've, you know, no, there's, there's one entrance, one waiting room. There's one, one long front, front desk reception desk, but it's, it's got a logo on either side. So basically there'll be like, there'll be like one personnel sitting on either side of the desk and we'll have a logo behind them. So as patients walk in, it, it'll be obvious like which side they should go to to check. And we actually, I mean, we have two different servers. So, I mean, the, the like the open dental software is going to be on different servers for each side of the office. And, and there's a few different reasons why we did it that way versus having the combined practice. And, and part of it's the fact that I've got my, uh, you know, my partner on the implant side and everything. It's, it's exciting. It's, I mean, it's taken, you know, obviously a new, new whole new building. It's, it's taken over a year from the time we found the space and decided to do it until we're getting ready to open. But yeah, you know, you talk about timeline. So April 21, first office opened about six months later, we decided to open the second startup. Second started startup open December of 21. And then about six months later, June of 22, we decided to open. So, the, so you're sitting poolside with your wife so. at a dental event. You've made yep. no formal planning, yep. no spreadsheets. You've had no meetings. You know, you want to do a third practice, but you've, there's, there's been no formal steps structured, anything to do it. A realtor calls you and you make a multi-million dollar decision on a phone call poolside, hanging out with your wife. You say, yeah, that's exactly what I want. Let's start the process. Yep. I was, I was a hundred percent. And you did no demographic reports at this point either. Okay. I, I hate making. Correct. I, I, I still yeah. have not done demographic reports To be completely area, transparent but... as a marketer, I hate making business decisions based on demographic reports. And that goes against everything in dental. But the problem I have with it is I have taken reports from three different sources same age of data and tried to compare them and the data is completely different. So you never know what source is the right source. You never know if that is even close to accurate, but you're making giant decisions based on it. So when you made that decision, you were betting on Andrew Vallow. You weren't betting on a market. You weren't betting on a location. You weren't betting on staff that didn't exist yet. You weren't betting on demographic report that some geek developed for you to try to sell you on a service and take a bunch of your money. What you bet on was I'm Andrew Vallow. You bet on yourself, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I guess I've done it a couple times now and, and, you know, going back to using a consultant for the first practice, I, I honestly truly believe that that gave me confidence to open more startups. And I mean, I'm not saying it's not a lot of work and we'll see this, this may be my last startup. I, I may switch gears and start doing acquisitions from here on out. Uh, and the main reason for that is because I, I, I want to increase our rate it's of growth easier lending. and it's tough to grow. Yeah. I mean, I think Huntington will be a little happier with me if I switch gears too, but I mean, obviously like to open four startup practices in just over two years is not something that's done very often. Uh, it's, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of timelines. There's things that can get delayed along the process. So, you know, if, if I want to increase our rate of growth, I may need to shift my mindset and shift acquisition. So, I, you know, I've already had that thought and I've already been looking at potential, you know, offices for our, our next phase, because that's the problem is if, if you want to keep growing, even as you're, even as you're, you know, getting offices open, or even as you're, you know, trying to, to grow, you know, new startups, you have to be looking at the next phase. If, if you stop looking at growth, 
you know, it's years will go by and the next thing you know, you'll be like, oh man, I wanted to grow faster than this. So you have to always be looking at, looking out for that next opportunity. Your pool side, it's, it's time to pull the trigger on number three because the real estate opportunity is there. So you value opportunity over time in perfect conditions because opportunity is the harder one to find, right? You can create those other things, but the opportunity is harder to find and you recognize that and you bet on yourself. So now, now that's, that, that shot's fired. We signed the commitment. The building is being built. We know we have a 12-month runway leading up to open or at least leading up to the building existing and us starting to do dental stuff as far as you putting chairs in or whatever. Tell me how you end up. Three doesn't exist yet. And a lot of dentists would stop and say, hey, I took enough risk. Got two startups. Got a third one in the works. How does four happen? Yeah, I mean, I think had I not had these two distinct brands of dental offices that I probably would have just done one startup here and maybe, maybe it would have been a little bigger, you know, maybe I still would have done the, you know, 3,500 square feet. So this, this office is going to have 13 ops. We'll have eight for the general side, five for the implant side. But I mean, the fact that I had two different brands and like the goal was to kind of open these practices around the same time. Again, the opportunity, the opportunity was for a 4,000 square foot building. And I said, Hey, I think if I do this floor plan correctly, that I can get both offices in a 4,000 square foot building. And in all honesty, it's, it's not that much more work to open two offices in one space than to open the one. So it, it saved me money. It saved me time, saved me effort. Oh, okay. So, so okay. So I'm yes, trying to, so, so we, we really pulled the trigger on both. So your four is three physical locations, four business elements, four websites, four distinct services four distinct businesses, shared location. Yep. Four, okay. four teams, four okay. entities. Okay. I didn't. Okay. So that's something I didn't understand, but I also am not the frontline person energized who deals with your accounts. So my, I'm sure my team member understands that. I didn't know that. So that's, yeah, Jacob knows. Right? J Jacob knows. So I know we just did two websites for you. <laughs> um, I, I expect to be two separate addresses. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're really at three locations, four practices. Okay. So how far are we? So, not to get into too many details, but we're like close to the opening point of number three and four. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, just later this summer we're, we're targeting August. So we're, you know, month, month and a half, hopefully from, from opening. That's exciting. So one thing a lot of the startup docs don't realize yeah. I had a doc I was on with her the other day. She's a really awesome girl and she's opening in a month and she's still working at her associateship four days a week. And I'm like, when are you planning to quit that? And she's like, oh, like a week before we open? I'm like, that's a bad idea. There's no way you can focus on getting open. Next couple months are going to suck, right? So that, that runway to getting open gets real congested the last, like, 10 yards of getting to the finish line, right? So how do you personally manage being a CEO, being a dentist, and also being an architect of these new practices? Because you're really the architect putting all this together. The symphony of opening up a practice is chaotic. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to unpack there, Matt. I, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I went down to two days a week a few months before we opened, and I quit altogether uh, a couple of weeks before we opened. I, I also, I mean, I'm a big proponent of the you can't work on your business while you're working in your business, and so that's that was part of my goal to cut back my clinical days. There, there was a couple of reasons that happened, but it was intentional. You know, it wasn't just because, oh, I'm bringing in an associate, so I need to cut back my day so he has enough patients. It was, I want to bring in an associate so that I can cut down my clinical days so that I can focus on it. When I first opened my first startup, I was the dentist, the office manager, and the CEO. So I was wearing all those hats. 
I mean, it was a lot. It was tough, especially as the second office opened. Um, so something I've worked on in the last couple of years is, is systemization, like really trying to get our systems down, delegating, you know, training, trying to, cr trying to create and empower team members that can take a lot off my plate. Because at this point in time, I mean, I'm, I'm only a part-time dentist. I'm there two days a week. So I, I cut that hat down. I've got full-time office managers at all my practices. We'll be starting with a full-time office manager at the new office. You know, they take that managerial rule or at least the, the big portion of it off my plate. Uh, so the nice thing is by cutting down as the dentist and as the office manager, I've been able to expand my role as a CEO. And so that's, that's what's allowed me to focus on the growth, to focus on the overall, not, not only growth of a uh, total number of offices, but growth of each office in general, because that's, you know, that's my duties. I'm sitting back here working with Jacob and everyone at Energize, figuring out what do we got to do, you know, this month? How do we want to change our marketing? How do we want to, you know, increase either number of patients or increase, you know, certain procedures that we're trying to do, whether it's smile makeovers or Invisalign or implants, you know, all on four, whatever it is. Um, so I, I think having that time outside of seeing patients to really work on my business and I, and I work from, I'm sitting in my home office right now. So, you know, even those, da those days I'm not seeing patients, I don't go in the office and I don't do work from there. That's a mistake. You know, anytime I'm there, everyone wants my attention. I could never get things done. So I, I've, I've got to work outside. You've got to work outside of your physical office if you really want to work on so things for your to business. And so. include this, to peel back the onion that is the layers of Andrew Vallow and the, the trip from zero to, we'll call it 3.5 practices, right? It's four, but it's one shared location. Yeah, it's four. It's four. So it's four. I, I just, from a marketer's <laughs> point of view, I see it a tiny bit it's different because I account locations. Your point of view, it's, four, it's two different types of practices, one location. I get it. So we'll, we'll agree to this. Yeah. Different bank accounts. Yeah. I mean, everything. Different financials, you know, different software. Yeah, I get it. Totally You're going to have two sets of software. And there's going to be two distinct practices, probably two check-in, two front desk people. I, I, yeah, I, I get it. It's, it's two locations. Yeah. But from a marketer's perspective, it's still two locations. But, you know, it's one of those things. Yeah, we can. That's fine. We, we, you we don't always agree fine. on everything. So, it's, it's But to peel back more. the layers of what yeah. made Andrew Val at this point, I want to highlight a few things and we can conclude this. One, you never had a scarcity mindset. Two, you never waited for perfect conditions or the perfect timing. You, you, you understand that opportunity is when effort collides with that thing that happens that you have to recognize is the time to strike, right? So you, you're really good at recognizing opportunity and seizing the opportunity, but when you seize it, you actually create the opportunity. You bring the elements together and it flourishes. And you understand the ability of, of planning these things properly once you pull the trigger. A lot of times people try to over plan before they pull the trigger. You're the kind of the opposite. You pull the trigger and then once we're committed to the mission, you're like, all right, well, we, we just, we gotta do this. And now we're gonna plan and do it and execute. So I think the other thing is you're, you're a master executor. Like you're a king of taking action. And when you combine that with plentiful mindset, you kind of are your own generator of opportunities. Your, your plentiful mindset and the I'm going to execute no matter what, what really happens is you actually generate those opportunities to happen under the conditions you want. You create it. Is that is that probably pretty accurate? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's everything you said coupled with the fact that, you know, patience is not my strongest. You don't have virtue, any patience. So, you, know, when you, I, are the, you are the epitome <laughs> of impatience. Uh, well, what yes and i mean my wife will tell you that every single day but when i when i decide i want to do something i want to do it right now i don't want to wait i don't want to debate on it i don't want to sit there and 
do research for months on end to figure out if this is the absolute perfect location or perfect situation. I just, I want, Hey, I've made this decision. I want to do this. Let's, let's get to work. Let's get it done. We're going to move forward now with the new podcast. And we've talked about the mission is to fight the dental tax and provide dentists with real actionable things. Right? So what I challenge dentists to do after listening to this podcast is do some self-reflection, right? And it's okay to label yourself as to what you are to figure out where your self-improvement needs to be, okay? I think dentists, after listening to this, should look at themselves and say, do I truly embrace scarcity mindset or plentiful mindset? And if I'm scarcity, where and how can I start changing that way of thinking, right? And kind of get out of my comfort zone. Because one thing that's true is there's no growth without discomfort and stress. And I, I was front lines for your whole growth journey almost from zero to here except for you made that one critical mistake they picked the wrong marketer but we won't get into that so yeah just i know we'd have to be at six practices i'm just kidding i I don't i mean (laughs) that's not true so but with that being said like if i was a dentist ever listening to this the thing i would say is okay so tomorrow where can i increase my plentiful mindset and what changes can i make to start being like this a little bit to be a successful person because i've i've met zero successful people that aren't positive right i've met zero successful pessimistic people right so my challenge to dentists after listening to this is tomorrow how do you approach your day with a more plentiful mindset and being more optimistic right so like as a dentist in in their work day like when when they're doing morning huddle tomorrow with with their staff right you know it's not a matter of how we're going to fail and let's not focus on failure mitigation Let's focus on where do we find success today that we didn't find yesterday? Are we selling enough fluoride? Like, you know, you sold five fluorides yesterday, hygienist. Try to hit 10 today and challenge yourself. Take that plentiful mindset and transfer it to those staff members tomorrow. Start start finding your own plentiful mindset and your own positivity. And then how do you transfer that to your staff members to get on board with the new mindset of your practice? Because just like sales is the transfer of emotion, so is leadership. Whenever you want to influence a human, you're transferring emotion to them. So tomorrow, how do you become that better version of yourself to be plentiful mindset like Dr. Vallow was? Do you have anything to add to that? I agree with everything you said, Matt, uh, except we, okay. we call them dental teams because okay. that's an infection. That's cool. I never thought about that. Dental team, not staff. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. I don't know. I just something like yeah. negative connotation to me. So we always, we always call them our team, but yeah, no, I, I think my challenge to the, to the listeners out there is, you know, what is one thing that you've been afraid to pull the trigger on that you've been debating, that you've been researching, that you've been weighing pros and cons, that you've been posting anonymously about in Dental Nachos or one of the other dental Facebook groups? Look at that thing and, and pull the trigger on it, you know, like get the motivation, the excitement, the mentality that, hey, this this is going to be the right move for me and I'm done debating it and I'm going to pull the trigger, whether that is purchasing a practice, you know, signing a lease for a startup, finally buying that iTero so you can really dive into Invisalign. And, and speaking of which, I know we were talking about it earlier. If any of you listeners are platinum plus or diamond level and you're doing questions, please I want to know too. I, I want to know how you're doing it. I, I know. Seriously, I do. I would because yeah, there's something, something else going on that's that awesome in that practice that's sure, to be working but, out that way. Yep. Yep. So that's, that's my challenge. I, I, you know, I think this podcast, it was, it was our first episode. I think it was a little bit more background, but hopefully you still got some uh, pearls from it. Some things that you can apply to everyday life. 
another thing I'd like to do, you know, and end some of these podcasts with is, uh, you know, a, a book recommendation. I'm, I'm a big podcast listener. I'm, I'm a big reader. I'm going to start with one of my favorite books of all time, which is The Obstacles Away by Ryan Holiday. Um, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's, it's a pretty quick read, um, but it, it's all about that mindset, that mentality uh, and as a dental practice owner, I will tell you, as Matt mentioned earlier, the hard part does not end when you open your practice. I can promise you that you're going to have little fires to put out everywhere, every single week. Just last week, we started the week, our, our very first morning of the week, found out that our vacuum went down. My practice is two years old. What the, what the heck's going on? But, you know, it's, it's one of those mentalities. Okay, this is, this is this the problem. Like, what can we do about it? You know, what benefits can we have from this situation? How can we make this day still a great day? I got on the phone with my Benko rep. We had Benko there within two hours fixing it. We found, you know, places we can move patients around in the afternoon. I don't think we had to reschedule a single patient. Within two hours, our vacuum was up and running and we carried on with our day just as it was planned. So th that's just like one example of the type of things that will happen as a dental practice owner. And if you don't have the right mentality, I think a lot of dentists would just been like, all right, let's just call the patients. Let's, let's shut down for the day. Let's get everyone rescheduled. You know, we're never going to have this thing up and running in time. So, you know, reading that book by Ryan Holiday, it's, it's going to really give you some insight into how you can approach, you know, dilemmas in your life, how you can overcome these obstacles and, and how you can turn a bad situation into, also, into a good situation. One last question. We're going to end on this. What's scarier, more painful for you? Regret or failure? Regret, right? Okay. Definitely regret. Yeah. You know, I, and you were going to say that. You're going to say regret's <laughs> scarier or more painful than failure. Because yeah. failure is going to happen no matter what. Right. Yeah. Regret sucks. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, listen, Hey, it was great spending time with you. Like it always is, you know, listeners, we're going to try to release these podcasts on the, the plan is the first and the 15th of every month. If we start seeing a, a good amount of listenership, we may increase the amount in a month. We're looking for guests. We're looking to endorse products right now and like things that really have value, but we're not going to accept paid sponsorships yet of any kind because we want to be true and unbiased. So look forward to this being released on the major platforms, the first and the 15th of the month, every month coming up. And, you know, hopefully you guys enjoy it and any comments or feedback you have or anything like that, or if you think you'd be an interesting guest, reach out to us. Um, you know, it'd be a lot of fun to meet other people. So, you know, thank you, Dr. Vallow, for making this hour and 40 minutes. Awesome. Um, anything you want to say before we hang up? Just thank you for listening to us ramble for the last hour here. You know, as, as I mentioned, I think this was more of an introductory episode, but I'm, I'm really excited to delve into some of the specifics about some of the systems, you know, how, how we got to 1400 Google reviews in less than two years at my flagship office, you know, how exactly we advertise and run these Invisalign parties where we close 15 to 20 cases in one day, how I organize incentive programs for our teams. So, you know, onboarding for associates, I, I think there's a lot of really, really cool systems that we've developed at my offices that I I'm really excited to, to get into some more details with Matt and, and really share with all you guys, you know, this is dentistry unfiltered. So, I'm, I am transparent. I'm happy to talk about specifics and numbers and tactics. And I, I, what I really want is I want you guys to benefit from this, whether, whether you're a dental student, you know, just listening, whether you're a uh, newbie dentist who's working at uh, a corporate office, whether you're looking to do a startup, whether you're in the process of doing a startup, whether you already have a startup or own an office, or even if you've been a dentist for 20 years and you just want to see how you can improve things at your practice. I want to, to give back to you guys because I took so much from the dental podcast that I listened to over the years uh, as I prepared to open my first office. So 
thanks, Matt. This this has been great. Yeah, and, it'll uh, be awesome. Can't wait to do this right, again. Andrew, thanks for and uh, thanks for having a great time with us and listening to us, guys. All right, have a good day.